Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Peter and John are preaching in the temple in the afternoon, much to the displeasure of the Jewish authorities, who now immediately bring about their arrest. We see that those making the arrest include the regular priests allotted to serve in the temple upon this particular day. The captain of the temple is the man in charge of the temple police force, the security men, all of whom were Levites. We can assume that the captain has a number of his officers with him to assist him in the arrest. The Sadducees were a very influential, liberal religious grouping made up almost entirely of priests. They denied life after death, eternal rewards and punishments, the existence of angels and demons and the reality of the resurrection. They would have fitted in very well into many a modern liberal church. Now we are told in verse 2 that they were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. So Peter and John are arrested, having been preaching to a large crowd. And following on from the remarkable healing of a man who had been lame from birth, but who is now walking and even jumping for joy, a great stir has been created amongst the people. And the religious establishment are, are concerned about the stir which Peter and John are creating. Uh, in the previous chapter, uh, we read concerning this healing, Acts 3, verse 9. And all the people uh, saw the healed man walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And so this popular reaction creates a particular anxiety amongst the religious leaders. Now it is the Holy Spirit who has given the apostles the power to perform such an amazing miracle of healing. So they are now carrying out the same mighty deeds 
which the Lord himself had carried out during his earthly ministry. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It is Christ himself indwelling Peter and John. Let us note that the immediate cause of their now being arrested is their preaching that those who believe in Christ for salvation will rise again from the dead. That is why they were arrested. And so we see how grieved the liberal Sadducean priests uh, who wanted to draw on Greek culture rather than the scriptures, how grieved they were at the preaching of the resurrection. A gospel of earthbound social improvement would doubtless have been far more to their liking. Peter and John would not have been arrested had they declared the need to abolish poverty or create social equality. But they were arrested for preaching Christ as the only saviour and for preaching the resurrection. So we note here the phenomenon prevalent in every age of religious leaders professing faith in the one true God yet being implacably opposed to gospel truth. And what particularly angers the leaders here is a public declaration of the doctrine of the resurrection. This doctrine is intimately linked to the doctrine of the new birth and of the final judgment. And so the very fact of resurrection also means that there will be a judgment because the dead will be raised some to everlasting life and some to everlasting damnation now our Lord rising from the dead is actually the pattern for Christian conversion it sets forth the need for non-believers to be raised up from their spiritual deaths and to be born again. Our Lord's resurrection is also the pattern and first fruits of the resurrection of believers unto life everlasting on the day of judgment. So to deny the resurrection is to deny the substance of the gospel. Even today there are uh, ordained ministers uh, in churches who deny the resurrection. But deny the resurrection and you deny the Christian faith. And the world hates the associated doctrine that men need to be born again before they can begin 
to be good. I do not need Christianity to be a good person, they argue. I believe in human rights and democracy. I am already good. The world hates the doctrine that their spirits will live on after they die and that they will be judged eternally for all that they have ever done in this life. The world hates this teaching. So as Peter and John preach the truth of our Lord's and indeed of all men's resurrection unto judgment, Satan is stirring up fierce opposition from those who want a religion without the stark reality of eternal rewards and punishments. And likewise, in 21st century Britain, a corrupted form of Christianity is being produced and disseminated, which teaches that Jesus loves everyone. So there is no hell because Jesus does not judge. And this is such a common heresy prevailing in people's minds. Jesus never judges anyone. What a satanic lie that is. Because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But the world wants a religion without severe judgment. So Peter and John are arrested for preaching gospel truth. Well, thankfully, many of the ordinary people are not as blinded as the religious leaders. Verse 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. The Holy Spirit is working powerfully through Peter's preaching. Many now, convicted of sin, put their faith in the Saviour. Now, back in chapter 2, we read of 3,000 being converted in a single day. And they were converted by Peter declaring to them their sin. Not by Peter saying to them, God loves you just as you are. He exposed their awful wickedness of heart. That is why they were converted. So, 3,000 were converted in a single day, as we read in chapter 2. Now we are told of some 5,000 converts. This may be, in addition, an extra 2,000 upon the 3,000. Or it might be a quite separate number, a complete new 5,000. Luke speaks of 5,000 men here. Now, that may mean literally male believers, excluding women and children, who may also have been brought under conviction. The Greek word can occasionally be used in the sense of 
people generally, but it also has the primary meaning of specifically males. In the next chapter, in verse 14, we are told that multitudes of both men and women were being converted. So, we know that there is a mighty work of the Holy Spirit uh, taking place here. And uh, we read in verse 5, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Um, Again, uh, we notice how scripture is grounded in real history, actual events, real people. Look at look at all the, the names listed here. This is not storytelling. This is an historical narrative that takes place a meeting of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. The president of this council was the high priest. And its members comprised other priests, the elders and the scribes. The priests as a group not being mentioned here, perhaps because they have already been referred to in (coughs) verse 1, or because it is the leading priests who are meant by the term rulers. Now, regarding the scribes, these were the official guardians of the sacred text. These were the scholars and teachers who were meant to expound the word of God to the people. The elders were the heads of tribes and clans. They were the noblemen of Israel. So, all these eminent people are now gathered together. The great and good of the land. National leaders, both civil and religious. It is before this esteemed group that Peter and John are now brought. What a wonderful opportunity Peter and John are about to have to witness to Christ's truth before such a gathering. Now, as we have seen in in verse 6 here, specific members of the Sanhedrin are named. Annas uh, is referred to. He was not the current high priest, uh, but he had held the office on two previous occasions and so retained the title. Uh, That in itself, of course, was an unbiblical practice. Caiaphas was the present high priest. And we also have a reference to a man called uh, John there in verse 6. John may possibly be uh, Jonathan, the son of Annas, who was briefly the high priest in AD 37. And then we are told about Alexander. Uh, He was another well-known priest of the day and 
The fact that he has a Greek name shows the great influence of Greek culture amongst the Sadducees. And let us remember that this influential group denied the resurrection. They were open to the culture of the world around them, but they denied God's revealed truth. Now there is a lesson. Are we going to adhere to God's revealed truth or allow ourselves to be influenced by the surrounding culture? And this is the great tragedy uh, within the contemporary church. A conformity to the culture of the day. So much so that we saw the two archbishops of the nation just last week apologising for a statement of biblical truth. Apologising for an upholding of biblical morality that marriage should only be between a man and a woman. That sexual relations should only be between one man and one woman. The two archbishops apologised for that statement having been made by the bishops. And so we see the great pressure to conform upon uh, the church from the surrounding culture. But our calling is to be separate from the world. Now, this influential group of people, these eminent men, were grieved, we are told, at Peter and John preaching the resurrection. Uh, Also note there the term, the kindred of the high priest. Uh, This may well refer to the family of Annas, five of whom sons became high priests themselves. Whilst Caiaphas, the current incumbent, uh, was the son-in-law of Annas. So we see how one particular family was exerting uh, enormous influence on Jewish life at this time. Uh, Verse 7 And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Peter and John are asked how it is they have been able to heal a man who was so obviously permanently handicapped. Now, the interrogators of Peter and John know that the lame man has been healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But they want the apostles to say as much in their presence, so as to condemn themselves by their speech. Jesus being openly regarded by them as an imposter and a blasphemer. Now, not believing in the spirit world, we also note here that the Sadducees, who wielded the most power in the Sanhedrin, could not, as the Pharisees had once done with the Lord, accuse Peter and John of acting using the power of Beelzebub, or Satan, 
You see, they didn't believe in a spiritual dimension. So they, they, as Sadducees, did not bring that accusation against Peter and John, but um, the Pharisees would have done that. And so they ask the Lord, hoping uh, that he will uh, cause himself to utter words, uh, that, that Peter and John will utter words associating themselves with Jesus of Nazareth and so bring guilt upon themselves. Uh, But notice in verse 8 here how Peter and John uh, are not overawed by this august assembly of rulers. Quite the contrary. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, You see, those called to preach the Christian gospel have the authority to address the leaders of the nation. That is part of our calling. Now, even though their interrogators are hostile towards them, uh, we do note here that Peter and John are addressing them respectfully, Acknowledging their position and high office. But we also observe that Peter is no longer intimidated and fearful of the authorities as he used to be. Remember at the time of his arrest, he was scared stiff of the authorities. But what a difference now. He stands up and addresses them in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is now doing great things openly in the service of Christ because the Holy Spirit has transformed him. This is the new Peter who once on three previous occasions had denied his Lord before men. But he is now empowered by new life. And he declares in verse 9 here, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? That's how Peter begins his statement. And so these opening words are something of a rebuke because he makes the point that courts of law are normally employed to examine criminals who have done wrong, not for benevolent acts of healing. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, you you see how clever Peter is being here. Are we criminals for having healed a man? Are we criminals for having declared God's truth? Peter goes on in verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter speaks with great authority here, addressing not just the ruling council, but through them, the whole nation. We see from his words that the healed man is also standing there before their very eyes. And so Peter says, this man, so they can see him. So they simply cannot deny that a miracle has occurred. All are familiar with this healed man and his years of begging at the temple. Peter boldly tells the Sanhedrin that they were the ones who crucified the Lord. But he also says that God nevertheless brought to nothing their wickedness by raising the Lord Jesus again from the dead. So he makes a direct challenge to the resurrection-denying Sadducees. He does not try to accommodate their false beliefs. He confronts their false beliefs. What a lesson that is today for us as God's people. We do not try and accommodate the LGBT movement. We confront that wicked movement. Now, the man whom the Sadducees thought was dead and done with is in fact the one responsible for this remarkable healing of the crippled man. Now, if a dead man can be responsible for healing someone, he must have come alive again. And so here is a statement of the resurrection. Let us remember the steps which the Sanhedrin had taken to suppress all talk about the resurrection. When the two Marys had met the risen Lord on the first day of his rising, We read in Matthew 28 and verse 10 following that Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders, and had taken counsel, they, that's the Sanhedrin, gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. So they took the money and did as they were taught. So these religious and civil leaders 
was so desperate to suppress the truth of the resurrection that they paid the soldiers to keep quiet about it. These are the same men before whom Peter and John are now standing. They had bribed the soldiers to keep quiet about the angel appearing in front of them and his rolling away of the stone which sealed the tomb, revealing that it was now empty. These supposed men of God had bribed the soldiers to tell a lie. So opposed were they to the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter declares in the power of the Spirit in verse 10 here, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. It was by his name. He who has revealed himself as the very Son of God, that the lame man has been made to walk. Let us note in verse 10 that Peter does not just say it is by Jesus Christ of Nazareth that he was healed, but it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The term, the name of Jesus, means his manifesting himself for who he really is. He showed himself to be the eternal Son of God, come to earth as the Saviour, as he healed the lame man. You see, someone's name reveals their characteristics and nature. This restoring of the lame man's body was a demonstration of the Lord's power to heal the sin-sick souls of all fallen men. This removal of physical lameness was a sign. Our Lord's miracles in the New Testament are frequently referred to as signs. Now that means that they are not ends in themselves, but they point to something else. Our Lord's healing miracles were a sign pointing to the truth that he is the only one who can remove the spiritual lameness of all the fallen sons of man. Now, observe that Peter also gives to the Lord here his official title of Christ. Christ being the Greek form of the word Messiah and meaning the anointed one. This man Jesus is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. 
the one anointed to save his people from their sins. Peter also refers to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, emphasising the Lord's humble and despised origins. Nazareth being a place of no significance in the eyes of the religious leaders, but rather a town in the looked-down-upon region of Galilee. So to speak of him as being of Nazareth shows him to be an object of some contempt amongst the religious establishment. And let us also note in this verse 10 that a major aspect of Peter's preaching is his exposing of sin. He refers to the wicked desire of the people, including his immediate audience, to have Jesus of Nazareth put to death. You see, sometimes it is argued, oh, well, if you're preaching in the open air, avoid controversial subjects. Just preach the gospel, they say. Just preach the gospel, but avoid controversial subjects. Did Peter avoid the most controversial subject of all here? Ye have crucified this man! Unpalatable truths, offensive to the hearers, cannot be bypassed in true gospel preaching. We cannot ignore when we preach the prevailing sins of our own generation. As uh, Martin Luther once famously said, these words were attributed to him in, in a book about him or a play about him. If we fight on any other front other than that where the world is currently attacking us, we have quit the field. So if we try and preach the gospel by avoiding all issues like abortion and the LGBT agenda and so on, if we try and avoid those issues, we are running away from the battle. Peter confronted the prevailing sins of his generation. And all effective gospel witnessing must begin with the reality of sin and the danger that each non-believer is in because of sin. And so Peter declares in this 10th verse, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So Peter tells the religious leaders that the healing has been carried out by the power of Jesus Christ. The very one who has been crucified and rejected by them. Now notice that Peter does not then go on to say, you too can be healed of all your diseases. 
but he distinctly relates the healing miracle to the salvation of the soul. Peter's message is not, look, you can have physical healing as well. Peter's message is you need to repent and be spiritually healed. We see this especially in verse 12 where Peter focuses upon salvation. But before that, uh, in verse 11, he refers to Psalm 118 and verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. He says in verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ had already used this same quotation during the final week of his life in order to rebuke the chief priests and other leaders of the nation, as we read in Matthew 21. So, uh, notice how Peter uses the Old Testament to preach the Gospel. Let us remember that. Uh, Let us uh, use all the power which... Uh, the Old Testament uh, contains. Now, these religious leaders are the ones who should have been Israel's trustworthy builders, those constructing a spiritual temple. But in rejecting Jesus Christ, they have rejected the very cornerstone of the kingdom of God, the gathering of all true believers. In his resurrection and ascension, the Lord Jesus Christ is now building his kingdom from his heavenly throne. He is the one whom these leaders had set at naught when they crucified him. But he rose again from the dead in triumph over them. And Peter declares in verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Buddha cannot save anyone from their sins. Krishna cannot save anyone from their sins. Mohammed cannot save anyone from their sins. Karl Marx cannot do it. Charles Darwin cannot do it. Only Jesus Christ can save men from their sins. You see the focus here of Peter in verse 12. The healing miracle is secondary to his message. The healing miracle is just a pointer to the real truth. Namely that men need to be forgiven of their sins and brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is salvation nowhere else. In no other prophet, no other God, no other religion. The Holy Spirit is not working in all religions as some would maintain. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ and him alone. Making it impossible for the Spirit to work through a religion that denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Men need saving from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can do this. His healing miracles were a signpost pointing us to the truth that he is the only one qualified to save those who have sin-sick souls. So, if we want to know how to preach the gospel today in the 21st century, let us learn from Peter and John. Let us challenge and confront sin and let us preach Jesus Christ crucified and risen again from the dead.